Welcome to Lunch Bunch. I'm Hannah Kimball, and every week I organize a live Zoom with elementary students at my school over the lunch hour. We are joined by incredible guests with various careers, hobbies, and interests. Our goal is to become inspired, get creative, and expand our worldview. On today's episode, all I can say is, wow! We are joined by New York Times bestselling author and former writer and editor of National Geographic, Candace Millard. Candace will share her own story, take us on a few different journeys around the world, and inspire us to greatness all in 30 minutes. Buckle up, it's going to be a fun ride. Let's jump in and um, let's see what, what Candace Millard, our New York Times bestselling author, is all about. <laughs> So Candace, today we have a bunch of fourth through sixth graders on here. We actually have some younger students too that joined us, which I think is great. Yeah, um, that is. So before you were a best-selling author, there was a time in your life where you were a fourth through sixth grader. So yeah. what was fourth, fifth, or sixth grade Candace like? So I grew up in a little town in Ohio, and um, um, what I loved to do, well, in the summer, I would always go to the pool. I would ride my bike to the pool, but all year round, I would go to the library. So we had this little library in our town, and I could walk there from my house, and I, I have three sisters, and my sisters, and my mom, and my dad, we all love to read. That's what we love to do, and we didn't have a lot of money, and so we would go to the library because everything's free right at the library and you can check out any book and we didn't really travel very much but if as you know if you read a book then you can go anywhere right books take you everywhere they're just great adventures and they take you in times like this they take you out of your home and any time they can take you out of your town or your country uh, sometimes out of the world so that's what I love to do I loved to read and I didn't know anybody who was a writer and I, it didn't even really occur to me that I could be a writer but I thought maybe I can be a teacher or a librarian or something I just I knew I wanted to do something where I would spend a lot of time with books that's great so this is a great time to read too, exactly what you just said. And I saw our librarian, she's smiling. She's like, yes, this is what we want. To do. This is good stuff. So you're right. They can take you anywhere. Did you remember a book growing up that was a favorite that maybe took you to a cool place? Yeah. So my, um, what happened to me, there was this kind of important moment in my life when I was about 10 years old and I went to the library and I walked in and and there was a rack of books, this kind of vertical revolving rack of books. And on top of the rack was the sign and it said free. And, and so I knew that like I could take one of those books and, and keep it and it would be my book. And I ran over and I asked my mom, is it okay? And she said, yeah, go ahead. So I was spinning the rack around and around and these were all adult books. So I didn't know anything about them or any of the authors. But I picked one book off the rack just because I liked the title and I liked the cover of the book. And it was called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And it was written by um, an author called Maya Angelou. And she was, I mean, you may have heard of her. She's a very famous poet. And this is a memoir about her childhood and the things that happened to her, largely in the South. And it was just completely different from anything I had experienced because she just had a very different life. She had a very difficult life. I had a 
a quiet life, but with very loving, devoted parents. And she had a very difficult childhood. And so it just taught me so much, but it was also so beautifully written. And so, you know, for the first time, even as somebody who loved to read and who read a lot, I thought, you know, books can be more than just educational, teaching me things. They can be more than just entertainment. They can be something really beautiful and thoughtful and kind of transforming. And that was really a big moment in my life where I thought, wow, books are so much more than I thought that they were. Wow. So how old do you think you were when that happened, when you had that moment? So I was about 10 years old. And I actually, I still have the book. It's, I'll try to find it because <laughs> I've kept it all of these years. It's a very simple little paperback book, but it was really, really um, just a transformational moment for me. And I realized it even then. That I didn't understand a lot of it because I was so young, but I understood that this was different than anything that I had read before. And, and it just kind of opened a door for me. Wow. That, and that is so cool. And I love that you still have it. And yeah. the best part about that story is these kids are about that age, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, exactly. don't think that at age 10, you have to, you know, this moment is going to come to you because I'm really a, a believer of we create who we become rather than finding ourselves. I think a lot of times people say, oh, you'll find yourself. When you're in high school, you'll find yourself. Or when you go to college, you'll find yourself. What, what would you say about that, Candace? Do you kind of have the same idea? Completely. I completely agree. And to me, I think that it's in the doing that you find yourself. You can't just sit around and wait for, you know, lightning to strike. It, it's, it's in the doing. And that's like for me, even now, um, I'm 52 years old. I've written three books. I'm working on my fourth. I work for National Geographic, but I still have uh, all the time moments of doubt thinking, I, I don't think I can do this. I'm actually, this is not going to work out. But what I found is that once I start working, and I'm sure you find this sometimes in your homework even, or anything, any project you're doing, sometimes you start out and you feel sort of discouraged and frustrated and it's not coming together. But the more you work on it, something will suddenly click into place and then you start to enjoy it and then you start, you start to create something. And it always comes out of the work. You can't just sit around and expect it to happen to you. You have to make it happen. And a lot of times you don't know how it's going to happen and sometimes it doesn't. It eventually will. Great. That was a great answer. Perfect for us at school too. <laughs> so you are a writer and we know that about you and you're te always telling other people's stories, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about your own story. You've told us about finding that book, reading that book. Um, was there a moment that other than that time where you're like, man, I'm going to be a writer. This is what I'm going to do. Or if you want to share what it's like to be a writer on the day to day, or, you know, just take this time to tell us anything that you would like for us to know, even if it's not writing related. We interviewed a basketball player last week and we were all asking him basketball questions and he said, there's a lot more to me than just a basketball player. And we said, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. And we found out he's an artist and he's a graphic designer and he, yeah. So That's take this awesome. time to tell us anything about your journey and your story. Well, my favorite thing about what I do, about the kind of writing that I do, so, you know, I'm not a novelist. I don't write fiction. I don't make up stories. I tell true stories, nonfiction stories. 
And the best part of that is the places that you get to go when you're writing true stories. So you have to do all this research, right? And a lot of it is in libraries and archives. And obviously I love that, but I also get to go to amazing places. So I worked at National Geographic uh, for about six years. I lived in, in uh, Washington, DC. And I was begging and begging and begging them to give me an assignment because I was an editor there. And they would always um, hire these fancy, well-known writers to write their stories. And so I was there like, please, please, please give me a chance. And so finally they said, okay, you can have this assignment. And it was an incredible assignment. They sent me to Ethiopia. You know, Ethiopia is in Eastern Africa. And I got to write about the kingdom of Aksum. And Aksum today, it's A-K-S-U-M. Aksum today, it's right on the border with Eritrea. And they're always at war with Eritrea. So there's a lot of war, it's very poor, there's been a lot of famine and drought. Um, and so it's, a, it's really a struggling community. But they have one thing, or they claim to have one thing, that everybody in the world for centuries has been wondering where it is, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. Have any of you seen um, the Harrison Ford movie, Indiana Jones? Yeah, raise your hand if you've ever seen Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys are pretty young. We actually watched it the other night with my kids. It's really good. And in the first one, he's looking for the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem, and it holds the Ten Commandments. So those two stone tablets in which the Ten Commandments were written. And it disappeared, and nobody knows where it is. That's absolutely true. Nobody knows where it is. But the people in Aksum say that they do. They say that they know where it is, that it's in this town that it was brought there and they have built this building in which it sits and there's a there's a fence around it and they choose one man a monk to be the keeper of the ark of the covenant and when he is given this great honor and great responsibility he goes into this tiny compound and he doesn't leave for the rest of his life he stays there and only he is allowed to see the ark of the covenant nobody else and so when I was there, so I got to go to Ethiopia and I got to go to this town of Aksum and go to this little compound. And I waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, this monk came out and I could hear him coming. So there are these stone steps and I could hear his, his, his bare feet coming down these stairs. And he was this tiny man and he had this big golden scepter that was larger than he was. And he blessed me through the um, bars of this, of this fence. Wow. And I asked him, why can't anybody else see the Ark of the Covenant? And he said, who can look on the face of God? So it was this incredible, incredible experience. And when I was there, I also, I went to a school that is on top of a cliff. And um, the children, only boys can go to the school. It's run by monks. And sadly, only boys are allowed to go. And only male of anything are allowed to go. So to get up to this school on top of this cliff, you have to, there are no ladders or footholds or anything. You have to climb a rope. These, these kids do it every day. They climb this rope to get to this school. And when they bring up food, like they'll bring up goats or something to eat, only male goats. <laughs> so no, <laughs> nothing female can go up to the school. So I waited at the bottom of this cliff because I, I'm a woman. I'm, I wasn't allowed to go up there either, but I waited for hours and hours for this, the keeper of their history to come down and talk to me. And while I was waiting, these boys came out and just came and stood and, and sat around me waiting with me. And I was taking notes. And one of the boys looked over my notes and he started reading my notes. 
And I looked at him and I said, you speak English. How do you speak English? I mean, they live in the middle of nowhere. And he somehow had taught himself English. And you know, everywhere I've gone, I've gone, done research in South Africa. I've gone, done research in Brazil, in the middle of the Amazon. I just got back from Tanzania and Zanzibar and Uganda. So I've gone a lot of places. Everywhere I go, there's always some kid who somehow, against all odds, has managed to teach himself English because he knows that that's only through education, that's the only way to improve your life and to help the people you love. Wow. That's crazy. So ev- everywhere, there's always that one person yes. that somehow defies the odds. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And they do, and they make life better for everybody around them. That's crazy. Okay. Remember this, you guys, you could be that one person or we could all be that one person, yeah, right? Right. Oh, what a cool story. And I'm sure you do a lot of traveling when you're writing your, your, your novels as well. So is that like the, is that the one moment that you're like, whew, that was a big one for me? Or have there been other really cool and interesting travels that you've been on as well? Yeah, there have been a lot. So my first books, I brought some of those called The River of Doubt. And um, it's about Theodore Roosevelt. And after he was president, he went on this incredible adventure. Oh, there, 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 there's Uncle Pat, or Uncle Jim and Aunt Pat. Hi. <laughs> um, so they went into the middle of the Amazon on this um, unmapped river. Nobody knew where it went. And um, it was incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Three men died on this trip with Theodore Roosevelt. One man drowned, um, one man was murdered, and then they left the murderer in the jungle <laughs> to certain deaths. So incredible story. It, ha- it truly, truly happened to Theodore Roosevelt. And they were attacked by cannibals. It was just a crazy story. And so um, when I was doing research, I got to go to this river. It was called the Rio da Duvida, which means a river of doubt in Portuguese. And um, now it's called the Rio Teodoro for Theodore Roosevelt. They named it that. Um, but it's still incredibly, incredibly remote and difficult to reach. So I worked on it, worked on it, just planning this trip. And I was able to find a little fishing village that is um, kind of on the northern stretches of this, of this river deep in the Amazon. And I had to um, rent a plane and hire a pilot and fly for hours through the Amazon into the middle of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> and it was scary, but it was so, so fascinating. And um, I got to meet incredible people. I met some of the, um, the Sita Larga, which is this tribe that attacked Roosevelt and his men at one point. And they still remember, this has become part of their tribal history, Roosevelt's um, trip there, because they, those were the first white people they had ever seen. And to them, they seemed like aliens, you know? And so they, and they remember, and they told these stories to their children, their children, their children, and then they told them to me. And um, yeah, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And then I went um, to South Africa. I wrote about um, Winston Churchill, when he was a young man and he was a journalist covering a war in South Africa and he was captured and he was taken as a prisoner of war and he was put in a POW camp in Pretoria and he escaped. Winston Churchill, when he was 25 years old, he escaped and he made it across 300 miles of enemy territory by himself. He didn't have a map, he didn't have a compass, he didn't have a weapon, food, he didn't speak the language. It was just this incredible story of courage and determination 
and it made him a hero. It made him a hero. And that's when he ran for his first seat in parliament. And that's what launched his political career. And then, like I said, I just recently got back from um, Tanzania and Uganda and Kenya and on this island called Zanzibar, which is part of Tanzania. Um, and I'm writing a book about the search for the source of the Nile. Oh my gosh. So all of these stories you're telling us, I feel like they sound like movies. Like, I feel like you just took us into a movie and <laughs> I'm like, what's next? What happens now? <laughs> well, that's the best thing about, so, and I, you, you guys probably all love to read fiction and I do too. I, le I read a lot of fiction. But what's really cool about nonfiction is that these stories are true. They actually happened and they're always stranger than fiction. They really are. You just like, you read and you think, what? I can't have really happened, but it did, you know, and it just makes it all the more fascinating. And so I'd really encourage you. And there's so many good um, nonfiction books that also have um, young adults um, versions of them that you can get that are just a little easier to get into at your age. And so I would look for those. There's some really, really great books out there and they just are such great adventures and they take you everywhere in the world. Oh, that's amazing. And thank you for that suggestion for them too. I have in this group, we have some avid readers, some kids who are reading Good. all the time. So awesome. they, that Nothing would be better. right up their alley. Um, I do have a few, I see a couple kids with their hand raised. Um, is it an okay time to ask some questions? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, Gannon, I saw your hand was up. Did you want to ask a question, bud? Um, <laughs> What got you started realizing that you really did want to do this? What changed your mind from being a teacher to thinking, okay, I'm going to do an author? That's a great, great question. So I, um, I went to um, college and then I went to graduate school. And my plan was to get my PhD and to teach in college. Um, but when I was in graduate school, um, there was this really, there's this push called uh, literary criticism where it was all about like deconstructing the text, like looking at it and breaking it down and stuff. And I thought, I don't really want to do that. You know, I, what I love about reading is I love like immersing myself in a story, like completely forgetting where I am and what's going on around me. And you're just actually in this story. And so I, I had always liked to, to write. And it's about that time I thought, well, maybe I can write. Maybe I can write for a magazine or something like that. I still didn't think about writing a book. Um, so, but it took a long time. It's not like, um, you know, you just like, okay, I want to be a writer. And somebody's like, sure, let me give you a contract and give you money so you can do it. It's, it's hard, you know, but it's absolutely possible. So also remember this. Remember that I came from this little town in Ohio that I didn't know any writers but I believed in myself and I just kept trying and people kept telling me, no, no, no. And I'm like, okay, that's all right. I'll send it to somebody else. I'll try somewhere else. And I just, I kept reading and I kept writing and I kept trying. And so um, step by step, it took many years after I finished my master's degree, I worked at little magazines here and there, learning, learning, learning. I got my big break to go to National Geographic and then I worked there for six years. And so finally, when I got married and I was living in Washington and my husband um, was living in Kansas City, has a company here. And I knew that I would have to leave National Geographic. That's when my husband actually, who had been a, he had been a reporter for the New York Times, he said, you should 
you should write a book. And I thought, well, I can't write a book. <laughs> I don't, you know, but he was like, why not? And that's what you should always ask yourself. If not me, who? If Why should they be able to do it and I can't do it? I can do it. If, if it's something I really, really want to do and I'm willing to put in the time and the effort and the thought and willing to be rejected and keep trying, then absolutely I can do anything I want. And so it eventually, it worked for me because I kept trying. That's some great advice. And I know a lot of times um, we as humans think that we need to get something right the first time and we need to accomplish it right away. And I love that you talked about how it took a while and you yeah. were turned down in places. And guys, that's okay to not get something right the first time. And even when you're doing your homework, your math, your reading, your writing, all of those things, it, you don't have to get it right first time. And having that confidence, just like she said, if, if they can do it, why can't I? Same sort yeah. of thing. And also, you know, it, it really does happen that it's just on the first, I mean, I think like maybe if you're Mozart, the first time you write it down, it's perfect. And it's gonna, but for most of us mortals, I mean, my, I go through so many drafts. I, the first time I write something down, it's terrible. And I think, please God, let nobody see this because <laughs> they'll know. And, but I thought I keep thinking about it and changing it and I edit, 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 edit. So by the time it's in a book form, I've been working on it four years. I work usually five years on a single book. Wow. That's, that's a long time. All right, Andrew, I see you've got a question, bud. Um, do you write any like National Geographic kids books? Cool. That's so cool that you read those. I don't write those, but I know a lot of people who do because, you know, I worked there for, oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, those are fantastic. I never worked on those, but you know, National Geographic has the main magazine that is in, like 10 million people get that magazine and they have it in different languages and different countries. And then they have a travel magazine, they have a history magazine, they have a kids magazine, they have a book division, they have an explorers division where they just fund really cool um, explorers who are doing really interesting things. They have a TV division. So it's huge, um, but I would have loved to, to work on those. Maybe maybe you'll do that someday. Yeah. There you go, Andrew. That'd be a good job for you, bud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any other questions out there? Lucy, do you have one? Lucy's being shy, but I love your books, and I was telling her about the people you, you picked. So she said, how do you pick, how does she pick the people? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question, Lucy. Thank you. Um, so I am just looking for a great story. So usually I, again, I just read a ton and I have all these ideas and I have a file folder, file drawer full of ideas that will probably never see the light of day um, because some ideas are good maybe for a magazine article or for something short, but to, to be a whole book you have to have not just like your main character, but you have to have all these interesting characters around them. And the main thing that happens, but also these periphery stories. So you have a lot to work with. But my main, main thing that I need before I decide, okay, yes, I'm going to write a book about this, is that I have to know that I have a ton of primary source material. And you guys probably all know what primary source material is. So secondary source is a book that somebody, like my books are secondary sources because I've gone to the primary sources. The primary sources are somebody's letters, their diaries, maybe a newspaper article, so any journals, anything that somebody who was there 
wrote down. And so you know they were actually there and they experienced it. And if you don't have those things, you can't make these stories come alive because the kind of books I write, they're history, but I'm trying to make it this great story that you will not want to put down and you'll want to keep turning the page and finding out what happened. So in order to do that, I need dialogue, right? What were these people saying to each other? Well, I can't make it up because it's true. So I need somebody to have written down in their diary. And then I said to him, <laughs> he said to me, so that's how I get the dialogue. And then I need somebody to say like, oh, you know, we were so dirty and we didn't have anything to eat. And we were, you know, he was sick and he was dying and all these things. So I need them to tell me what happened. And I need all these details too about like, what did it smell like? What did it sound like? What did it feel like? So you, when you're reading it, you can do the same thing that I want to do in a book is you just like get lost in the story. So I look for those things. So it's not me looking for a particular person, but me reading about people who interest me and then finding the story and saying, wow, that's really interesting. And I have enough primary source material. I think that I'm going to devote five years of my life to telling that story. Yeah. Now, Candace, it is 1230. Do you, and I see a few more student hands. Is that okay to go a little bit longer? Yeah, sure. I can take a couple more. I've got to make some lunch for my kids, but okay. I can take a couple more. Sure. sure. Do a couple more questions. And then guys, since it is 1230, if you need to do something or if you have another Zoom, feel free to go ahead and um, get off if you need to. Okay. Ashlyn, how about you? What was your question? Do you have any pets? Oh, you know what? That is a great question because so we have, um, so I have three children and I have a job and a husband. So we're really busy. And I've always said, I just don't think we can have a dog. So we've had easy pets. So one of my daughters has a little hamster named Benjamin. He's super, super cute, um, but he stays in his little cage. He's really easy. And then we have, um, my son has a bearded dragon named Horatio and he is awesome. And he walks like, he's like this big now. We got him when he's tiny, he's like this big and he'll walk around. He just like sticks to his arm, like Velcro on his chest. And he just walks around with him all the time. But guess what? We are getting a dog. It's a big, big deal for our family. Yay. We're going to go visit it today. We already decided it's, it's a baby right now, so it can't come home with us till May 6th. It's a French bulldog, and we named it Bug. Oh. <laughs> I don't know exactly why. <laughs> We're all really, really excited to have a dog. Do you have Do you have a pet? Um, we had three dogs. Two wow. passed away, and we still have one down here. And we have some fish. Yeah. Fish are a good pet to have, yeah. too. They're fun to watch. I really like watching them. I have a I hard have time a, keeping fish alive. <laughs> I have a beta fish named Penelope. Oh, I love, that's a great name. Awesome. Beta fish are super cool. Mm -hmm. And my dad also bought me a snail. Oh, I love, we used to have some snails, too. I find snails fascinating and every once in a while when I'm out uh, for a walk I'll find a little turtle and I bring it home just to show my kids and we'll like have it for a couple days and then we'll set it free and so those are fun I love turtles too those are cool well that was a great question to end on Ashlyn I think do you get, that is important to know yeah you know yes. cat people dog people um Candace thank you thank you thank you for joining us this was such a treat I don't know if my, my students pleasure. realize how cool this is to have <laughs> a guest-selling author on our zoom with us today um 
but we do need to give you a big thank you from all of us. So I'm going to unmute everyone. It's going to sound really bad, but we do anyways. <laughs> well, let so, me say, uh, let me just say, first of all, how impressed you guys are so great. You can just tell you're so smart and you're such good students and you're going to do great things. And you're so lucky to have Ms. Kimball in your life. She is amazing. And you're a great interviewer. <laughs> By the way, you ask great you. questions. So, um, Thank you, everybody. I really had fun. Well, thank you. And all right, I'm going to unmute us and then I'll count down from three, okay? So I clicked it. We should all be good. All right, three, two, one. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, and remember for my students, tomorrow we will have our second lunch bunch of the week. We have a pet food and cat litter scientist. So if you don't have questions. I know I have a million to ask. I don't know what that entails. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm excited. Someone in fourth, no, fifth grade said, does that mean he's going to talk about cat poop? I'm going to guess so. I mean, it's cat litter, you guys. So this should be entertaining to say the least. So I hope you guys join us tomorrow. A uh, special thanks to my great aunt Judy over there for joining us. Burbot girls, thanks for getting her on here. And then my moot and papa, my grandma and grandpa were on here with us today. Thank you guys for joining us. We will see you guys hopefully tomorrow. Thanks for being great listeners and you guys have a great week. Okay. Thank you for joining us this time on Lunch Bunch. Be sure to catch our next episode where we will be interviewing pet food and cat litter scientist Alex Maxwell.